0: Planet Parson Show 243 on the 27th of September 2015. Prepare your body and mind for a bumpy ride as we break new boundaries and go where no man or woman has been allowed before. We go beyond the final frontier into the light and dark corners of Planet Hello, you. It's certainly autumn. It's Sunday lunchtime. And uh, I usually do these podcasts first thing in the morning. But it doesn't really matter because you can listen to them at any time. Uh, But just to give you an idea of how the garden looks, because I'm in the chalet at the bottom of the garden, um, I have an old pair of steps and drying on them. (laughs) and I've just tweeted a picture that actually looks far more romantic in black and white uh, are my white converse that have been through the washing machine a couple of times this morning and they look fabulous, they look um, distressed, I mean they're not going help me, help me, they look distressed um, but they also look clean and uh, down the chalet at the bottom of the garden, actually he's been moved from the house recently my life-size cardboard cutout of David Tennant is standing right next to me holding my hand, I Hope you're well. And um, this week uh, on Thursday evening, I went to Hampton Court, uh, the Radio Times first ever Radio Times festival and uh, opening the evening in a circus tent. And all the talks were in the circus tent there uh, was Sir David Attenborough. And I bought the tickets about six months ago and and actually had forgotten about it. So didn't have company and insisted my 11 year old son should come with me. And he said, oh, all right, if you're going to be on your own. Uh, Anyway. Um, it was a really nice setup. up So anything that's in the Radio Times is there. There are lots of tents and lots of displays. So ITV are there, Sky are there, BBC Music are there. There are clangers, life-size clangers. There are Daleks, there are Cybermen. Um, and really, the weather was very good the evening we went, so there was a beautiful sunset. And I did tweet a couple of photographs. Um, but the actual talk itself... Um, was really intimate, so there we were in a circus tent and on stage came the editor of the Radio Times who welcomed us and then Kirsty Young uh, from Desert Island Discs, you'll know, and many other things with a fabulous Scottish accent and just a brilliant way of interviewing, interviewed Sir David Attenborough. It was a breathtaking evening. Uh, I felt particularly honoured that we were going to be party to an hour and a half's chat And involved with that chat as well that perhaps nobody else would see because it certainly wasn't filmed. And uh, there were conversations I've heard David uh, Attenborough interviewed over the years, but uh, there were bits in the conversation that came up that I would certainly not heard before. And I thought I'd share some of them with you. But Kirsty Young said she'd been to. Um, his house a week before just to try and, you know, finalise some of the questions. There'd be so many questions you'd ask Sir David Attenborough, wouldn't there be? Uh, There were also clips from bits he'd done over the years, starting in the 1950s and uh, working his way up to now and beyond. And there's still stuff going on. And uh, I believe he got on a plane the next day uh, to go and observe the biggest dinosaur skeleton ever found, ever discovered, He said that when they find dinosaur bones, they very rarely find the whole dinosaur. It can be something like, you know, 17 bones, but there are 225 of these and they can work so much out from the bones. But you probably know this. And if you're interested in uh, fossils and microfossils, Um, but he was talking uh, and I thought this was quite sweet. Uh, Kirsty Young asked him about his family and his wife Jane and how when he went off to film things over the years, uh, how long it would take. And sometimes we could be away for three or four months, a bit like Michael Palin now, really, um, and how it was for her. And he said, oh, I think she was probably glad to see the back of me. But in the early 50s, uh, before he was uh, a proper presenter in his own right, he was working on production and film and direction and would go with the London Zoo who would collect animals around the world, whether that's right or wrong in this day and age is another thing. But he would go and he would film it and they would film the, for example, a boa constrictor being um, caught and uh, then they would film it back in the studio in London and then back in the zoo. So you would see um, how it had progressed and how it was um, happy? Question mark. Uh, But it was a very different way of doing things. And he said on one of those early trips that what had happened was he came back. Jane had met him at the airport and he'd been traveling for four or five days without any sleep. So he got home and obviously she'd had all that time to get on with her own life and couldn't fill him in on everything in the car journey. So he got into bed and went into a deep sleep. And after about three hours, woke up and his wife was snoring next to him and he was in pools and pools of water and it was winter and he thought this is it I've got malaria this this must be malaria and he thought shall I wake Jane up what shall I do will we call a doctor and then he put his hands on top of the covers that were on top of him and it was very very hot and he discovered that whilst he was away Jane had bought an electric blanket so a happy ending to that one Uh, When he was going uh, in the early 50s away with the London Zoo, he mentioned that the person that was going with them, so uh, not a zookeeper, higher up than that, someone from um, the Society for Animals, um, became ill. So he then had to present. So he stood in a couple of times and apparently a memo went round the BBC saying, don't let this chap present again. His teeth are too big. (laughs) Little did they know. Uh, He then went on and worked within the BBC. He set up Radio 2, uh, not Radio 2, but BBC 2, and maybe you know that. Um, And uh, he uh, played a big part in television, controller of BBC 2, and also um, was at some point, because he was so well-liked, was offered the director general the top job at the BBC. And when Kirsty Young said to him, you were described by many as the best director general that the BBC never had he said oh I don't think so and she said why did you not take that job and he said because I've always wanted to fill my life with adventures and not memos and emails which uh, actually just you know touched my heart maybe a lot of us feel like that actually Um, and I've got a little list here of things that they talked about He was also responsible for several of the Queen's speeches. And if you're listening uh, and you're not in the UK, the Queen will do her speech at about three o'clock on Christmas Day. I mean, obviously not live, it's pre-recorded. And he said he went to the palace on the first occasion and spoke to the Queen's secretary and read through her speech, which she'd written, and then looked at the room it was going to be filmed in and noticed it was predominantly green, so green wallpaper, uh, green skirting boards, green curtains. And the secretary said, would you like to rifle through her wardrobe and look at her clothes? <laughs> and David Attenborough said, well, I'm not sure that's right, but they did anyway. And he just suggested, because it was all colour coded, that she didn't wear green because he thought that that would clash and said, well, maybe mushroom, which actually is not a very, very, very friendly colour to any woman, is it particularly? Uh, sort of beige mushroom. And he said on the morning they recorded it, he went, uh, I think it was Buckingham Palace and he said there's a little rickety rackety lift and it took ages to come down. And when it did, the Queen, who has a fabulous sense of humour, came out of the lift and looked at David Attenborough and said to him, well, I hope you're happy with what I'm wearing. She obviously didn't like the mushroom very much either. And he said, well, I have to just explain that we didn't want you to disappear by wearing green or clash with anything wearing any other colour. And the secretary said, but mum, you know, we really could have if you were unhappy about this. I've had the room redecorated. And apparently she looked at the secretary and looked at David Attenborough and winked and said, now, that would have been a huge expense, wouldn't it? Uh, so uh, they got on with that. And it was really lovely to hear him talking about it. Incredibly relaxed. He's 89 years old. And God bless him, touch wood, incredibly well. And, uh, you know, had no trouble getting up on the stage and just just looked incredibly relaxed and happy to answer questions, which was really joyful Um, my son was the youngest there I think it had been promoted for adults the evening Um, and there were clips of him you know the famous clips with him laying with the gorillas in the wild and he talked about that and how there's a very short piece but actually it had taken about half an hour um, and he had just gone down on a recce so he'd gone down to see what they might be able to film and he did film it and Afterwards, (laughs) Afterwards, <laughs> because it was unexpected, he said to the director, wow, well, how much of that have we got? And he said, oh, about 45 seconds. And he said, what? And he said, well, we were, we were only wrecking. We weren't expecting to have to record anything. So we only had 40 foot of film uh, in the can. So what you see... <laughs> is a minute amount of what actually happened. Um, And then there was the snow leopard story. You must know the snow leopard story about them taking two years to find the snow leopard and then gradually filming it. Um, And that was breathtaking as well. And I looked at one point to my 11-year-old son. He was crying. I was crying with the emotion of it all. And he said to me, Mum, do you know I feel just horrified that I might not have come with you to this? And it was just so... Special. It was just so beautiful. Uh, during the questions, um, someone pointed out um, about his carbon footprint and talked to him about the future of our world with climate change. And he went on to talk about the Global Apollo Program, which I've since looked up uh, and they have a big piece online and they are going to all of these summits where they're talking about climate change and trying to encourage ways um, of, of making things better. And it's interesting that I scrolled down and the first thing I saw uh, was a summary and a quote from Thomas Edison from 1931. And Thomas Edison said, I'd put my money on the sun and solar energy. What a source of power. I hope we don't have to wait until oil and coal run out before we tackle that. But if it's something that you're interested in, um, I urge you to go and have a look. That's the Global Apollo Programme. I think I've probably talked for so long, but I wanted to do this now because it was a really beautiful, beautiful evening. I feel so honoured to have been part of that, just to have eavesdropped on that conversation. And uh, this afternoon, and the tickets were really, really reasonable, but this afternoon I've got a uh, £5 ticket to see David Walliams, which I'm also taking uh, my 11-year-old to see. So um, I'll do a podcast about that uh, when that's all over. Uh, Meantime, I hope all is well in your world and that the sun is shining on it and you've got some autumn leaves floating around in the garden or in the park where you walk. And uh, we'll speak again soon international rescue calling international rescue jeff this is penny hi there penny jeff here i strongly advise you to listen to lynn parsons she's a cool happening chick and there are no strings attached